This is Channel 253. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. One, two, two. Interchangeable. White Ladies. Welcome to the Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast. I'm Hope. I'm Annie. Today we're discussing our second book in the hashtag Read Less Basic Book Club, White Rage by Carol Anderson. There's an interview with Carol Anderson on Democracy Now! You should totally check out. We'll link in the show notes. Uh, she is a ha- Charles Howard Chandler Professor of African American Studies at Emory University. She, Professor Anderson's research and teaching focus on public policy, particularly the ways that domestic and international policies intersect through the issues of race, justice, and equality in the United States. Part of the context for this book is that it was published in 2016, but before Trump was elected, which I hope we get into mm-hmm. um, as we talk about the book today. And um, spoiler alert, the hashtag, <laughs> um, you can follow along, read less basic hashtag um, on Twitter, but um, you may want to uh, know that there's an afterword mm-hmm. Oh yeah, paperback edition. Yes. And yes. it's great. So you should read that as well. It's important. It's actually, like, it's pretty important. So we've been invited a couple folks in here to help us um, unpack this book a little bit, as they say in the classroom. Uh, you might recognize this voice of Nate Bowling. You're sitting in my chair. Host of the Channel 253 <laughs> Nerd Farmer podcast. This is your first time, longtime listener, first time on the show. How you feeling? You're sitting in my chair. Yeah, great. It's going to be an awesome, surly morning. Um, and little context, Nate and I are about to leave in a couple days, so that's in the background. We also are super excited to invite Jennifer Newton on the show. Good morning or other time. <laughs> longtime listener, longtime friend. We met in grad school back in the day and had lots of great arguments about books. Go gooey ducks. Exactly. Uh, she's an educator, an NBCT, and a general rabble rouser. Welcome to show, you two. Hey. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. So we wanted to start first with a very English teacher question, mm-hmm. which is, let's talk about the title. Um, what did you notice about the title? White Rage, the Unspoken Truth of Our Racial Divide. Well, I found it pretty fun. I read this in a week because we talked about this last week. <laughs> and as I've been traveling around visiting family and whatnot because Teacher Summer, um, it sparked conversations with strangers all over the place. Mm. So they're like, what, what's that? And so um, I found it really, really fascinating to position the question and the history of um, systemic racism in terms of um, the, the title in terms of the oppressor, mm. um, which I, f- I found curious. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have been having a lot of conversations about violent white supremacy online, and there's a particular chap on social media who goes by at ML Wadester, I guess, uh, who keeps pointing out this idea about nonviolence to me. And what occurs to me is that, like, American politics is shaped around tolerating and actually being driven by white rage, Mm -hmm. but people of color are always obligated to be nonviolent. And Mm -hmm. if we are violent, we're viewed as aggressors. And so Mm -hmm. I think about like all of the white riots that have happened in American history and like the burning of Tulsa Mm -hmm. and Black Wall Street, and then how much attention instead we pay to like the Watts riots and the Martin Luther King riots Mm -hmm. and the Rodney King riots. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so, like, the idea of white rage, the other thing about this title that I find intriguing is, is that to me it's part of, a, like, an ongoing trilogy where, like, white fragility is the mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to persuade you about this issue and then white rage is I'm going to inform you about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's a yet-to-be-written or yet-to-be-discovered-by-me white blank book that is, like, the coursework of action to go forward. Mm-hmm. Annie, what do you think about the title? Well, I when I first heard about it I was like oh this is gonna be amazing because I am a history teacher and so I I would thought you know having that kind of context of what has created the systems of because I I feel like complicit as a white person in upholding systems mm-hmm. of white supremacy and so I have to actively com- combat that in my everyday life uh, but the kind of historical context of things that happened before I was around to kind of situate my current experience in white supremacy and like what that looks like, I think has been really, really important. And mm-hmm. so as a white person that was just seeing the title, I actually thought like, I'm just going to make me, there are parts of this book that are going to make me really uncomfortable and I need to read it like fast, like now. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What it's, do you think, Hope? I, yeah. All the things that you're all are mentioning, I think floated through at some point. Um, I also was kind of thinking about like, is it, at first, I, I had a question of like, okay, is she going to talk about the things that have made white people mad? Is she going to talk about like currently white people being mad? Is she going to talk about – and she kind of does all those things yeah. uh, in the mm-hmm. book. And so mm-hmm. I, I love that there's multiple interpretations for the rage and white people. Yeah. Well, there's something about the term rage yeah. that's mm-hmm. different than just regular everyday like garden variety. Like I'm pissed, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like rage <laughs> is like a – that's a hotter type of mm-hmm. hatred and anger. So, and I think it really aptly describes what she's explaining in the book. Yeah. Yeah. And um, to piggyback on that idea, rage is irrational. Yep. It's mm-hmm. angry. It's um, a little child flailing or, um, or uh, feeling completely entitled. Um, also, uh, to add to Nate's kind of thought of this as a trilogy, I haven't done this, but I have a couple friends who have kind of worked through Leila Saad's yep. uh, Me and White Supremacy, the White Supremacy um, workbook, which is a series of, I want to say, a couple dozen yeah. days of processing and journal entries where you're you're having to reckon with that work. So where um, white people and white allies are able to, you know, look themselves in the mirror because that is part of uh, one of the chapters where we talk about where, mm, sorry. No, get in there, um, go for it. Carol Anderson is talking about how racism during the 70s and early 80s, it turned from, okay, disenfranchisement yeah. to, um, you know, KKK and, and dogs or this particular thing instead of, quote unquote, move to states rights is neutral. Mm-hmm. So so that use of, of terminality or uh, um, terminology and then also the I'm going to find it. I yeah. have it. Well, while you're looking really fast, mm-hmm. like Coates has talked about this as, as well, mm-hmm. that we like mm-hmm. we've defined racism so narrowly that like unless you have a uh, a clan hood on and are yep. caught on tape calling somebody the N word while denying their child entry to a public setting, then like you mm-hmm. have plausible denial about racism. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of folks like I, I imagine if I sat down with uh, 
the vast majority of violent white supremacists, like they would be able to rationalize away yeah. like what they're doing is not being racist. Mm-hmm. And so like we've defined racism so, so narrow. Well, not we, but certain facets of society have tried to define racism so narrowly. Yeah. That, like, white people. Are, there are no racists left anymore, but there's racism everywhere apparently. I, yeah. I think that, that supports your um, idea of this book being the second in a trilogy as well because mm-hmm. if you read White Fragility, like that kind of um, kind of, like does exa- like exactly what you're saying, right? That it, it defines racism as systemic and insidious right and mm-hmm. i think that you can't you almost can't read this book in a vacuum right yeah, like no, you yeah. if you just pick this up i mean you can but like it like having that context is really is really crucial yeah where she on page 100 in the paperback hey um identifies nice citation. also the footnotes i i oh, picked wow. up this book and i'm like yeah. oh i gotta read this in a week yeah and then you're There's like, like <laughs> over 100 pages of notes which is yeah. really really mm-hmm. great and i'm uh, we'll get into how she I'm doesn't go to one page this. without multiple citations. Oh, heck yeah, no. no, that's great. Uh, the focus on the Klan also helped to designate racism as an individual aberration. That's where people mm-hmm. say, "Well, yep. I'm not racist," or "I didn't benefit from my family didn't own slaves, so therefore I'm not uh, culpable." Yeah. Uh, so there was that. Um, intention to contain and neutralize the victories of the civil rights movement, and led to that colorblindness and well you know if you just work hard then you know you'll you'll do it instead of the um the centuries of intentional um uh disenfranchisement Mm -hmm. and and uh genocide honestly i've Mm -hmm. talked about how on my show essentially like the civil rights movement ended in 1968 with the election of nixon Mm -hmm. and from Mm -hmm. that day through uh state laws and court precedents, we've been basically doing take backs on all the gains of the civil mm. rights movement mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. point where like we have now like the resegregation of schools or the more segregated than brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have voting access where black voter, sorry, black voter participation in the South is plummeting. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. but none of that's racist. That's just, you know, again, states' rights. And so one mm-hmm. of the things that I'm really cognizant of, of in reading this and talking about this book is, is like those racial code words and dog whistles yeah. mm-hmm. that get used in our common discourse and really unpacking those. Uh, I have a friend who's a Sounder supporter who got her house appraised and like the coded language on the appraisal caught her. And Mm. uh, I posted a link to the uh, old redlining maps for Seattle and Tacoma. Mm. And like it's all the same practices Mm. instead of. But in the past, right, it was uh, bankers and mortgage lenders and real estate agents doing the redlining. Now we just do redlining through coded language in appraisals and housing values. Mm hmm. Um, we're kind of getting into it, into my next question, but I was thinking about your 30 second pitch to somebody about this book. Um, what do you tell them? Or Jen, you were saying that a lot of folks have been asking you about it. How did you describe this book? Um, I was being asked along the way. So I'm like, well, let's see where it goes. But, uh, what I really appreciated about this and how I'm planning to sell this to my principal of maybe having a, um, study group around this is the, it, it has this really elegant thread from um, from Reconstruction on through. And so that there is this intentionality of uh, systematized racism and how that directly uh-huh. affects generationally um, mm-hmm. uh, folks of color mm-hmm. and uh, specifically to our um, our needs, our students, and what that has going on. Because there, there are folks who I work with on a regular basis who... Um, who consider themselves 
not racist, not necessarily non-racist, but not racist. But there's the what about ism. The, Mm -hmm. well, what about poor whites? Well, what about, what about? Whereas, and she um, addresses how it affects other people. And also in terms of the the economic and hegemonic things, which is really interesting that I found Mm -hmm. where they, uh, she talks about um, the space race and people and especially the, the, um, the political South, um, you know, mm. the the usual suspects were far more invested in uh, in maintaining that status quo than yeah. even dealing with this quote unquote outside threat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the move from labor uh, labor power to intellectual um, mm. intellectual uh, worth, if you will. Yeah. And so mm. I, it, there wasn't necessarily it wasn't. Anything new? Well, although no, that's not true. I the depth and the the way that she makes those connections mm-hmm. really, really um, useful mm-hmm. as far as being able to talk about. Okay, here's how that works. It's yeah. not just these isolated things, and to be racist is not mm-hmm. not just X, but the way in which the system um, is, is aggressive. And so I, I like that as well, that it's not just a, well, it just kind of happens. So, Mm -hmm. so, uh, dismantling some of that neutrality uh, that has especially been a thing from, you know, from the seventies and eighties on like the, the Reagan stuff was really, Mm -hmm. uh, prescient. I had a, I was, I feel like I was more shocked than I should have been about how aggressive Southern politicians were in, um, preventing the Great Migration and how that affected the Southern, like kind of commitment to the uh, World War One, the effort in World War One. Um, just the fact that it was like that every effort was made to kind of prevent Black laborers from leaving the South, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that that took priority over kind of the national. Um, effort to support the war. Mm-hmm. That's actually getting into kind of my next question, which was like, what have we glossed over in history classes or yeah. that we don't talk about That's as really much as we should have? Right? But real quick, what's your 30-second pitch? Oh, my Someone in the street's just... like, hey, what's that book you're reading? Are you a mad white person? I'm I'm enraged. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, it's uh, this book by Carol Anderson is very good. You should pick it up and read it. Get it at King's Books, okay? Uh, That's your it's about No. Um, it's about the kind of historical context of systemic racism. And if you want to understand the history of it, you should definitely read this. And if you don't like history, um, change. (laughs) I think particularly for my friends and folks out there who work in in like media and journalism, so often like we uncritically report Mm -hmm. things uh, without historical context. And so Mm -hmm. I think about how many times I've seen slides or graphs about median household wealth for black families Mm -hmm. and understanding, if you understand that, most families like wealth is actually tied up in housing Mm -hmm. and that a disproportionate number of black families either a live in segregated neighborhoods or b rent even if they have the resources to buy just because of institutional racism and all sorts of like hoops that are put in their way Mm. Uh, i i would like for like my 30 second pitch is if you work 
if your job is to inform the public as a journalist or an educator, like this is historical context about America's reality that needs to be present in conversations about the present. Mm-hmm. I got asked um, every time I go to the Starbucks before the show, like a basic white woman, um, they always ask me like, what are you doing today? And I'm always like, ooh, I'm going to record a podcast. And then yeah. I try to pitch whatever we're talking about. And so I was talking to the girl about it and I was like, this is a historical timeline about black and white race relations in America. And it really lays out all the things that we think we know we've heard in history classes, mm-hmm. but it puts them in conversation with each other and helps mm-hmm. us actually see how they're connected rather yeah. than these like isolated pockets. Like here's some civil rights thing that happened and then yeah. nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. was great. And here's another thing. Oh, don't forget about Brown. And then, oh, nothing happened. Right. And in fact, it's all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I appreciate it kind of uh, touching on even that 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 nationalism, yeah. the economic uh, conversation mm-hmm. throughout where, mm-hmm. you know, that when when people argue, well, the Civil War was, you know, it was a matter of states rights and it was this and that. And it's like, bro, no, it wasn't. It was fucking slavery. Shame it, on them for it lying It was slavery. <laughs> so infuriating. And so like even uh, mm. with the the Great Migration, mm. it was an economic situation because of the, uh, you know, you have free labor, you have uh, dehumanized yep. labor, and it just continues on through. And it becomes, you know, the discussion of economics. You even have mm-hmm. some economic wonk who's like, well, I don't really, whatever. It's about you know, mm-hmm. well, how does this affect the bottom line? So when you have maybe fiscally conservative conservatives, this may speak to that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, There's almost something there about white panic that I feel mm-hmm. like is kind of mm-hmm. like almost should be the subtitle white rage, <laughs> a.k.a. white panic, because it's like the rage comes from a sense of panic. Right. Uh. Like you're, what you were saying about the Great Migration, that people in the South, by people, I mean, should be very clear, um, white business owners, um, mm-hmm. white politicians, mm-hmm. right, saw the 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 kind of um, the labor leaving the South as like theft from them, right? Oh yeah. And so there was this panic, right? It was like, oh, this is being taken from us, right? This way of life or whatever. Yeah. Um, air quotes, way of life. And uh, I mean, that's that's all predicated on the idea of humans as as objects and right. property. Yeah. Exactly. So it yeah. comes back to the idea of your body is not yours. Your body right. belongs to me. I get to grind it down into a fine, like a uh, fine yeah. dust, and fuck you. Yep. So. Shame! Yeah. Can, I, can I push back on one thing, though? Oh. Uh, the Civil War was about states' rights. The In... states' rights to own slaves. Ah! <laughs> it's true. Thank you. Thank it's you. true. I, I was actually very, um, I was mad at myself again. I got mad at myself a lot when I was reading this because um, w- a lot of internal reflection about like being a history teacher and just like not knowing shit, you know? Um, just like thinking about like, oh my God, Abe Lincoln as like the great segregator, right? Mm. Like where uh-huh. I was like, it was just some eye-opening things that I was just like, I wish I had known that like yeah. as, a, as a younger person. Like I feel like kind of duped. Um, but it's a good word. <laughs> but I, you know, I, I realized that I, that legacy is so tied up in myth, right? His legacy is so tied up in myth. So mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. kind of unpacking that too. Like, and she even addresses that directly. She talks about these American myths about race, mm-hmm. r- racism and race, rela- race relations. And that's part of it, right? Is, is that, yeah. Well, and th- here's the issue is that like the, the version of history that is taught in most American schools goes something along the line of there were pilgrims. 
And then the pilgrims <laughs> made friends with the Indians, and then the Indians go away around Andrew Jackson. And then there was slavery. <laughs> and then there was a war, and slavery right. ended. But there was still bad stuff in the South. And then Martin Luther King came along, and now everything's great for everybody, and black folks need to, need to, need to work harder. Yeah. Like, that is what most, most kids yeah. walk out of public school, like, yeah. understanding mm-hmm. as American history. And I really enjoyed the point that Hope made earlier on about how this puts all the violence in conversation. Mm-hmm. And one of the things mm-hmm. that, like, you walk away from this book understanding is, is that the only violence violence that is legitimate in American politics is violence of white folks. Mm-hmm. 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 And I'm going to go ahead and reference Derek Jensen, which I know I've referenced on the show before. Oh, I already have Way back in the oh. day. Oh. I know. I'm setting you up. I'm saying, here's the ball. Ready? Pitcher? Here we go. So and better. In the mid to late 2000s, mm-hmm. there was an environmental writer named Derek Jensen whose writing I uh, fell in love with. And if mm-hmm. I think about it, actually, I've probably read more pages of Jensen than any other writer. Uh, he's a book called Endgame, which is a two-part uh, series about the environment and like society and humanity. Mm-hmm. And the book opens with these 10 premises. And I often think back to premise four. Civilization is based on a clearly defined and widely accepted yet often unarticulated hierarchy. Violence done to those higher sorry, violence done by those higher on the hierarchy to those lower is nearly always invisible. That is unnoticed. Mm. When it is noticed, it is fully rationalized. Violence done by those lower on the hierarchy to those higher is unthinkable. And when it does occur, it is regarded with shock, horror, and a fetishization of the victims. There's a passage in this book that talks about the lynchings that happened in the South mm-hmm. after the end of chattel slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is some of the most disturbing reading I've yeah. ever engaged in my entire life. Yeah. But like that violence, if not sanctioned by the state, was ignored by the state. Mm-hmm. And there's no possible way at any point in American history that black people or Native Americans or Hispanics or Latinos could could deliver that much violence to white folks without basically triggering genocide. Mm -hmm. Like the level of violence Mm -hmm. that black folks have been forced to endure throughout American history is off the charts. And if we think about every time that a black person has, like whenever a a, a nice white lady goes missing on Fox News or like uh, a a, a white person gets beat up by a black person or whatever, like how how much space that occupies on the news, Mm -hmm. but violence to black bodies is just like like normalized in the cost of doing business Mm -hmm. and frankly the currency of American society. Were you going to throw something else at uh, I went in a different direction. Oh, yeah. I'll bring it back around. To I was that. I was actually going to comment on what the other book I'm I'm reading while while I'm in the middle of that I was started reading while I was reading this is the mm-hmm. Indigenous People's oh, yeah. History of the United States. I think mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah, Indigenous People's History of the United States. Um, Robin Dunbar Ortiz, um, and how that reading these those these two books together, White Rage and Indigenous People His, People's History, mm-hmm. actually made a lot of this sort of um, coalesced it in an interesting way to to where you see the kind of systemic like oppressions in a in a different a different light mm-hmm. and um i think that not thinking of this as a um but stop focusing on this one group and look at this other group but like thinking about um kind of these interlocking oppressions and kind of how um different groups in American history have been the victims of white rage, right? Like that's, and so you, the fact that you mentioned indigenous people and Hispanics and Latinos, the, that there's a, that this is, this is a, a, this kind of rage is not, um, it, it manifests itself in different ways to different groups, Mm -hmm. right? But it's the same, it's the same hot kind of low boiling rage, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's, yeah. 
Yeah, you wanted to say something? Well, just, there's only two incidents in American history that come to mind for me about people of color delivering, delivering violence to white folks at this level. Mm. And, like, both are, like, monuments. So, like, when people of color deliver violence, like, we, you build the Alamo, and it's a national mm. park. It's Custer's mm, yeah, last right. stand. Mm-hmm. But when black folks are violence from white yeah. folks, it's, like, lost to history. So, yeah. like, there's there's hardly any monuments mm-hmm. about Black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Like, think about what happened to Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no, uh-huh. there's no equivalent incidents where people yeah. of color have delivered yeah. deliver violence like that. Because, again, mm-hmm. white rage and white violence mm-hmm. is the only form of violence that's acceptable in society. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it does, um, if you think of the Watts riots, mm-hmm. like that was was um, incredibly demonized. Mm-hmm. So it was it was talked as, you know, it, it, the even the portrayal within the media uh, was absolutely dehumanizing, bringing dogs out uh, and talking about it as this mm, talking about it as this uh, um, one distinct moment rather than uh, uh, the the larger kind of chronology and what was happening mm-hmm. in those neighborhoods and and to black women specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was an interesting thing. And the thing I come back to again and again as we're talking is the use of um, the actual history of the source documents where yes, you have yeah. all of these quotes. And I thought of um, the book Human Smoke by mm-hmm. Nicholson oh, yeah. Baker. Oh. It is all... Yes. All-time faith. Yep. It is It is entirely uh, source material from these major power players from uh, World War One up to, I think, the liberation or the the, um, clearing of of the um, concentration camps. But, you know, these people who are lionized, uh, Churchill, FDR, um, yeah, they're their own words are used to to demonstrate the insidiousness of uh, dehumanizing um, um, disadvantaged folks. Uh, and so I think about now and with the white rage and I think about who I would like for, uh, who I would like to pick this book up. Um, same thing with, uh, human smoke where there is the, those interlocking Mm, pieces, um, of, of, of people who, are doing terrible, terrible things mm-hmm. to the people who can, you know, hopefully, maybe come together, <laughs> overthrow it. But you know, yeah. those it, are those are nice dreams. I don't want to beat a dead horse, but like you talked about the Watts riots, you fast forward thirty years and look at the L.A. riots, right. and yep. the mm-hmm. person who, like the most famous figure to come out of the L.A. riots besides Rodney King, is Reginald Denny, the uh-huh. white trucker who was assaulted. Yeah. Yep. Right. So like mm-hmm. you have these riots in which like people are killed. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. we only remember the person who was most famous from that is like the white victim of violence and mm-hmm. not saying he deserves to be a victim of violence. Like obviously he doesn't, but like we, we care far more as a society about violence that happens to white folks than mm-hmm. violence to deliver people of color. Mm-hmm. And the man who was, who was beat to a pulp by the cops comes in front of a, in front of the world and says, you know, can't we all just get along? Yeah. That is the takeaway. Not, yeah. not, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a breach of, of justice. Right. Yeah. Yep. Well, it's the job of black folks to be peacemakers when whites do violence. Mm -hmm. White people don't have to, yeah. Uh, One of the things that made me actually really mad about this book um, was just uh, reading about Andrew Johnson. So as I was reading, I was listening to actually the audio book at first, and I was texting Nate about it because I figured we were traveling or something. But um, I remember reading about him a little bit in history classes, so kind of that earlier chapter around um, derailing the Great Migration Mm -hmm. uh, in the the pages 40-ish. and I just remember, I, w- I remember reading a little bit about him and like black codes, but the way this chapter lays it out, mm. I'm just so mad. And so I was messaging Nate about it and we were just kind of talking about the fact that like 
because it was done to black people, nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. just kind of going back with like that is the premise of our country. Like that is what we're founded on. This lack of care. And so we gloss over that, okay, slavery is gone now, but there's all mm-hmm. these things mm-hmm. that are still enslaving mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. and still trying to keep, bring back, you know, the white South and like give them status in the in the mm-hmm. society still in leadership. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's interesting about this uh, book as well with the white rage, the other side of that is the, um, the building of a narrative of... Of, um, also in that area, given mm-hmm. the African Americans' supposed contentment with Jim Crow, officials yeah. throughout Diz- mm-hmm. uh, Dixie were initially certain that this flight north was only an instigation of outside agitators. And throughout, mm-hmm. it's the, well, if you didn't want this, then you would pull yourself up by the bootstraps. You yep. wouldn't be uh, on welfare. You wouldn't do this. You it, And so it is at the hands of the actions of uh, folks who are mm-hmm. um, being killed, victimized, mm-hmm. and otherwise mm-hmm. disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Society has uh, American society in particular has a capacity and a preference to criminalize the behavior of Black folks mm-hmm. in ways that is like really shocking when seen in concert. So like the vagrancy laws and the mm-hmm. idea that like yeah. if you are a liberated Black person who was idle, then we're gonna make your idleness a crime so we can mm-hmm. incarcerate you, and then some nice white person come around come along and pay the fine or pay off your incarceration, and then you'll be obligated to work for them for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Like that was the way of doing business mm-hmm. in the American South after liberation, mm-hmm. after emancipation. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And you fast forward to look at like in the 1990s, uh, there were states that tried to pass laws that like criminalized sagging, sagging pants, yeah. like black fashion. <laughs> right. yep. And so like at every point possible, there's an intentional effort, whether stated yeah. or otherwise, to enter black folks into the carceral state. And if they enter into the carceral state, then like they no longer have protections for the 13th Amendment. And it makes me think honestly about the Northwest Detention Center. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. uh, at the detention center, there are folks who were held there who were basically being paid like a dollar a week to do jobs. Yeah. And there's a lawsuit filed by the state of Washington that actually just uh, had a result that the detention center is going to have to start paying them. Uh, the state minimum wage was $12 an hour. And so like. This sounds like this sounds like a like a leap, but what is happening with the Geo Group and the Port of Tacoma is indistinguishable from what happened in the South mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. idea of like incarcerated Black folks being forced to labor. Yeah, mm-hmm. good contextualization mm-hmm. for today. I think another. Um, I feel like this isn't part of the trilogy, but everyone should watch Thirteenth if you haven't watched mm-hmm. that either, because it 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 also kind of explains. And thank for reminding me about that. Um, explains kind of more context historical context especially mm-hmm. about the pr- prison industrial complex but i I, w- I was thinking about your comment about andrew johnson and how this book for any social studies teachers out there this book is incredible source material to try to really explain mm-hmm. why andrew johnson was such a shitbag yep. and like you can tell you can tell your students he was terrible and you can give yeah. them but like if you really want a concise mm-hmm. chapter that you can yeah. co- photocopy don't tell you know Penguin or whatever, whoever published this book, um, that 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 does it right. Like just send like yeah. five dollars to Carol Anderson for every copy. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you know, do something nice for her um, to support her work, but like also copy this for your students because it's it, it gives it gives such um, 
compelling evidence, direct quotes from Andrew Johnson that he was like, mm-hmm. and that's the thing about this book. It's so well-researched and so yeah. thorough that yeah. like ever all the evidence that she provides, her writing style is kind of um, com- mm-hmm. almost conversational at some mm-hmm. points mm-hmm. where she's mm-hmm. like, this is, mm-hmm. some, she says academically, this is bullshit, right? But like, yeah. Yeah. but she provides this evidence that like, this is such an amazing teaching tool, right? That made me think of it when you're talking about Andrew Johnson. Yeah. Well, I, uh, to um, underscore that, yeah, it's the just, Here's what they said. Mm-hmm. Here's what they did. Yep. Um, yeah. Which is really, really powerful. And then also those stories. One of the, the most impactful moments when I was teaching AP Lang last mm. year, when they're reading Frederick Douglass, and they're like, wait, what the? What? Yeah. I'm like, these are his words. So that story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, last week yeah. when I was sewing, yeah. I, I listened to um, Criminal, mm-hmm. uh, Phoebe Judge, it's on Radiotopia, yeah. episode 120 of The Tunnel, um, discusses there's this, it starts out where, you know, there's this town in North Carolina, oh, yeah, yeah. and it's this old old dude who's been there forever, and he's heard the stories from his parents, and so it, it is an, a perfect example of the labor and the work that, that was being done by, you know, folks who mm-hmm. were kind of locked in by vagrancy laws, which means you're walking by or mm-hmm. more than two people are standing around. And what ended up happening is, you know, these folks, these these black men, they were chained together mm-hmm. and put on this barge to go across to where the work was happening. They're like, hey, the boat's sinking. No, it's not. Hey, the boat's sinking. No, it's not. Yo, the boat is. And then, foom, 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 one yep. by one, pulled into the water and killed died no one like i've never heard that story and Mm -hmm. so there are Mm -hmm. a million stories that are like this of uh unnamed or forgotten people um that don't come to the surface you know um and it's those those stories the that that will um uh enrage and activate People who care um, when they when she references um, what was it Gates mm-hmm. where where you know Harvard professor being arrested because he's standing outside his own house in mm-hmm. Cambridge like <laughs> kids go wait what and it's like it doesn't matter how far you've gotten up the social chain mm-hmm. you still are black and you are still subject to um, la- la- uh, being attacked and not having. Mm-hmm body autonomy or personal autonomy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the fact that people, you know, it hit the news, but, you know, there should have been cars tossed in the streets for mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. let uh, alone children being killed again and again and again. Let's take a quick break here um, and then we'll come back. Mm-hmm. Hey, Hope, I have the craziest story for you. Okay, what happened? I dreamed I booked a flight for my mom. With Alaska, right? Well, obviously, it was a dream, not a nightmare. <laughs> Ooh, you scared me for a second there. Yeah, so in my dream, I was trying to do something nice for her, and I thought, I know, I'll give her the world. That seems a little expensive stop, and very stop, Aladdin stop. from it like, the It is my 90s. dream. I'll give her the world with the gift of travel. I can show you the world. <laughs> so listen, in my dream, Michael B. Jordan was an Alaska Airlines oh, flight okay. attendant. This dream just went up yeah. a whole notch. Uh-huh. Yep. Can I jump in that dream? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You were in it, and everyone we know was in it. Um, it was amazing, as you can imagine. So he was giving me fruit and cheese plate, and Uh-oh. he told me I gave the cheese plate to my the cheese part to my neighbor because you know vegan, but the fruit yeah. was divine. I so I, I told he told me. Did you, did you know you can share your Alaska miles? Did you know that? 
Michael B. Jordan told me this in my dream. It's $10 <laughs> to share $10,000. Oh, that's not bad at all. That means that after saving up your miles, you could give your mom a round-trip ticket for less than $40 out of pocket. So that's like a really unknown secret, I think, and pretty yeah. amazing. How'd the dream actually end? Well, I woke up before it got really good. Oh, man. Burn. But Alaska saved the day. I woke up and I shared my miles. That's really smart. I'm so glad it worked out. Hey, to book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. We, we fly Alaska. Alaska. All right, and we're back. We're back. Uh, I want to ask a really tough question. Maybe it's not that tough. Um, but... When you were reading this book, I, I want folks to kind of talk about um, how did you feel like your sense of your own racial identity influenced how you read or interpreted this particular book? Hmm. Annie, you mentioned being frustrated yeah. and kind of wrestling with Yeah, that. feeling really frustrated. Also feeling like this book echoes now, so like mm-hmm. really resoundingly. So, for example, when it's talking about Ossian Sweet and his home in Detroit and um, – in the I don't know what chapter that's in, um, probably about um, the Great Migration, but how he was defending his home from mm-hmm. an angry mob. Yeah, and that story. The kind of perspective of the was it a white police officer who said, um, who basically created fabricated the story that of what the actions the Swedes were taking to defend their home um, as them being aggressively violent from within their home and not being attacked. Um, mm. That there were only two panes of glass broken, right, from the rocks being hurled at their house. Um, and the fact that the when it was going through the court system, the media jumped on it and just basically copy-pasted this story of this white officer and didn't, didn't interview anyone else didn't mm-hmm. dig in and it was three independent newspapers in Detroit all copied each other in terms of like reporting mm-hmm. on this um and then when it went through the court system it um the early narrative was really in favor of the officer but over time it shifted in favor of the sweets but, mm-hmm. but the, their story is incredibly tragic and I yeah I want everyone to read this book so I'm not going to tell you everything that happened to them but the fact that it um the fact that it is it kind of connects back to my own sense of um, racial identity because it I don't know how to say this in any other less kind of crude way but like like same shit different day right mm-hmm. like the fact that like that white people are continually all the time getting away with horrific shit right I think I've said shit like five times in this episode. This yeah. is like this is unprecedented. Yeah, this is a lot. So, but it makes me it it makes me so angry yeah. that that is happening. Oh, still like all the time, constantly. I would like to contextualize my comments by saying that like we're recording this less than a week after the El Paso shooting, mm. and that and the, Dayton and Dayton. Yeah. Well, in particular, the El Paso shooter left a left a manifesto. Yeah. That in like both its language and word choice and ideas is frankly indistinguishable from what you hear on talk radio and Fox News. Uh, I had a moment when I was talking with a friend of mine named Hugo and essentially I said I'm rapidly running out of ways to try to convince white folks that like how urgent this moment is Mm -hmm. right now. And so like my racial identity in reading this book, uh, it was basically like I've been done told y'all. And so at a certain point, like the level of violence that is just delivered upon black, black families, children, the unborn, uh, mm. it's 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 all the same. And so like what what happened to Tamir Rice would never happen to somebody mm-hmm. who looked like you. Yep. And what happened to the like there, there's a story of a lynching of a pregnant woman oh, God. Uh, that's mm-hmm. early, fairly early in this book. That is yeah. basically the most horrific thing mm-hmm. uh, I've ever read in my entire life. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I can second that is the most horrific thing I've ever read in my entire life. And like and and and, and like that is what this nation is. Mm-hmm. And like yeah, we're we we're, we're better than we were then. But like that is still like in the core of our DNA. And so like for me and like in reading this book, it just affirmed to me like how urgent it is yeah. for like me to use whatever platform I have to encourage uh, moderate, well-intending white folks to stand up and say not in our name about violent white supremacy because we're we're living in a moment right now where, uh, for lack of a better term, like the crazies are making their way into the political mainstream from the periphery. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's a re- it's a return to um, that southern control mm-hmm. of legislation, and I mean, even the discussion of the Voting Rights Act. I was thinking about that the other day, and the gerryman- gerrymandering um, kind of decisions that came through, and me and my husband were like, "Well, what what the what do we do with this?" Um, <clears throat> When I think about this in terms of me, myself, personally, as someone who passes as pretty white, um, I'm multiracial, but uh, for the most part, unless you are f- familiar with Filipinos, they're like, wait a minute, you? Um, but as, <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, we're the family. Um, but um, as someone who has that privilege and, and has an audience and is able to to do that. This this book specifically um, lit a fire under me to you know I I also was enraged but in a different way where mm-hmm. um, that this it's it is our responsibility as as people as activists as humans and honestly as um, as white or white passing folk it's our responsibility to wield whatever we can to to um, to you know, to get in the way of this shit show well, I kept finding myself um, being mad at white people and like I, I acknowledging like my role in history and like um, as Claudia Rangan talks about, like our historical self and our mm-hmm. self selves, um, just that kind of notion. And so, thinking about uh, the things that I've had whitewashed over, like historically through my different mm-hmm. classes, even by classes that you know were taught by professors who like were well meaning or seemed like woke or whatever, um, just that conversation, being frustrated with that, and kind of what Nate was saying earlier about just like the need for this now, like handing mm-hmm. this to everybody. I mean, like read this mm-hmm. book. You think you know history? You think you understand it? Yeah, I know everything in this book but like do we really know it and what are we doing Mm -hmm. to make that difference and so I found myself um, thinking a lot about that as I was reading actually Mm -hmm. it reminded me of like if you read lies my teacher told Mm -hmm. me this is the like this is the like the deep dive it's not written by a white man (laughs) (laughs) if you read that forget that you read it and read this instead I guess is the because it's I mean it's like the, it, it covers a lot of like mm-hmm. content that's also in lies my teacher told me but it does it in such a it frames it in this in this way that is um, a lot more incisive and a lot more true feeling mm-hmm. and it even lies my teacher told me is whitewashed right so you read this and you're like oh shit mm-hmm. read this mm-hmm. instead Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm uniquely positioned in this conversation because I'm knocking on 40's door and uh, I have older parents. And so like mm. my father was actually born in yeah. Laurel, Mississippi in 1930. Oh, hell. Uh, and so he's no longer with us. But the stories that he shared with me, I see echoed in this book. And one of the things that I think about is, is him talking about like his father 
And so mm. essentially, like my father had, my father went to went to his grave having very strong resentment of white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story that I that that like, my mom and I sat down and kind of talked about it one day, and my father basically watched his father, who was a small business owner, was like a proud black man, like crisp crease pants, shine shoes, have to basically walk in the mud and get off the sidewalk when white folks were coming down the road. Mm-hmm. And that's something that he watched happen throughout his childhood. And that like created a, a resentment, frankly, in my father. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember my dad talking to me one day and he's like, whenever you see a white person in a car and their car is like not as nice as yours, like be careful. And like that sounds trite, but mm-hmm. one of the things Carol Anderson talks about in the opening of the book is, is that like what triggers white rage most often is either the perception yeah. or the reality mm-hmm. of black advancement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I, if you look at the election of Donald Trump, like it's not coincidental that Donald Trump's presidency basically is the response of white rage to the election of Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Like black yeah. advancement or its perception enrages white folks. Another thread I'd like to bring in the conversation just briefly is um, on my podcast, we talk about how democracies die. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that really stuck with me about that book is, is the idea that racial polarization in America is at its worst in periods when black folks are making or proceed to make advancements. Put differently, the best way to depolarize American politics is to subjugate black folks. Yep. And so like, if you look at the, the portion of this book talking about reconstruction, uh, essentially, the the way you depolarize American politics is that the two parties made a compromise that basically uh, took away voting rights and citizenship for blacks in the South. And like that was the method to which to get to bipartisanship. But as soon as there's a period of black advancement, uh, the parties sort themselves with the party that wants black advancement and the party that wants to hold down black folks. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at the era of polarization we have right now in American politics, uh, it's basically coming on the back of perceived black advancement. And so, like, if you're like, what the hell is Bowling talking about? Like, I have an episode coming out probably in about three weeks mm-hmm. talking about how democracies die. But, like, I want to put a plug in for that as well. If you haven't read that book, it's a fascinating read. We'll uh, yeah. link to the show notes for sure. Absolutely. Thanks, sis. Um, let's talk a little bit about, as we wrap up, um, just criticisms of the book, things that we wish were changed or things that we thought, eh, I don't know if I, I'm into this part of it or the way that it's structured. Um, what are some critiques? Any critiques? Criticisms? Hmm. I think when I started reading it, I thought her sort of conversational tone in the first chapter, not the introduction, but the the first chapter about Reconstruction, at first I was like, I don't know if I like that. And mm-hmm. it grew on me. But if you read a lot of nonfiction, mm-hmm. you may, um, as you start reading it, maybe like, this isn't like typical nonfiction that I read, um, yeah. lean into it because her style as you go, like, um, it weaves the story together in a way that's really compelling. Um um, I could see how for some folks that might put them off to it mm-hmm. because if you read a lot of nonfiction because you might be like, this isn't as uh, robotic as I'm used to, but it's like just deal <laughs> with it. I love robotic reading. Yeah, I <laughs> no. No. Uh, yeah, I think that um, because this is appropriate for like where we where yeah. we sitting at the table are entering the conversation. Mm-hmm. But if I were to try to send this to my dad, mm-hmm. I think that either he'd be into the – uh, narrative, or you'd be like, okay, uh, I don't know. So I think that some differentiation yeah. with regards to, okay, what are some of those like major themes or takeaways or talking points within each of those eras mm. might be helpful. Because as I was reading this too and thinking about and trying to have a conversation about it in the coffee shop, I'm like, well, it's really complicated, but it's not. <laughs> yeah. But there's all these things that are coming to – I'm like – Okay, let's see how how we can. And I know it it feels, and 
with that, the other the caveat that I would say is, once again, it's a person of color having to explain it to yeah. friggin' yeah. people right. who are not willing to do the work or too lazy or don't feel like it, it's put on right. them. So, yeah. so I don't know. I even feel conflicted about that. But when I think about semi-reluctant readers of this or mm. they see that cover and they're like, oh, which I do like that it's it's uh, a little spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> a little torn paper action there. Yeah. <laughs> like rage from yeah. ripping this Rawr, paper. I'm so yeah. angry. <laughs> yeah. um, or even at the end, maybe a um, uh, recommendations for practice or, okay, now what? Yeah. Or at the end, have that chapter by chapter like here, here are some of the takeaways or here's, I, yeah, it would be, you know, ra- it would be or rad, actually, actually even, yeah. even a physical, oops, even a physical, um, uh, like a timeline. I don't know, but I mean, it, it works chronologically. So that's yeah. hella lazy. I've seen, a, I've seen a couple of nonfiction books. I really appreciated how, as a teacher, like at the, either at the beginning or the end of the chapter, having like, um, uh, kind of a summaries, right? Mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm, could have a talking mm-hmm, point for each chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's the Ninja Crow, yeah. It's that's something. funny. I actually like yeah. that she didn't do that because I was thinking about that's Ninja the Ninja Jim Crow, Crow, yeah, which was e- really easy to use for students in that sense. Yeah. Yep. Um, Nate, criticisms, critiques. There's two. So first of all, dope book, dope book. Don't, don't hit this the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, there's two alternate versions of this book. I'd be curious to read. Uh, one is thematic. So instead mm-hmm. of working chronologically, uh, saying here's white rage about school integration, mm-hmm. here's white rage about uh, economically depriving Black Americans, here's white rage about the carcerary state, here's white rage about insert other place mm-hmm. where folks are discriminated against. Mm-hmm. I, I I think that might be interesting to me as a teaching tool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing is is you mentioned Human Smoke earlier on, mm-hmm. yeah. and so if you're not familiar with Human Smoke, it's by Nicholson Baker, and like Jen mentioned, like it literally is just primary source quotes, and, and it's they're like, not long. It's like a paragraph yeah. or two paragraphs at a time. And Diary not, entries. Like no it's context. It's, yeah. just yep. like, it's like Churchill sent a – it's like a quote from Churchill and then it was the date. And it's walking you through. And I would love to just have the primary source version of this mm-hmm. where you hear uh, – politicians in the South and the North, to be clear, and mm-hmm. uh, journalists and community figures being as dusty and ashy as they actually mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. Uh, in order to mm-hmm. like really communicate how how pervasive this was and how normalized this was. Mm-hmm. Yep. it's good. Um, I guess we're now at the point of, of thinking about like the now what? Like, what do we do now that we've read this book? What are we thinking about? Um, what's kind of next? Is there something it leaves you wanting to read more of or something that you want to do now? Mm, like I said earlier, I want to put this in the hands of other people. Mm. I, I think that she, through that historical approach, um, it's really useful to to maybe um, do some do more consciousness raising. Uh, I don't want to say wokeness, but consciousness raising of what what maybe folks have already had an inclination where they're like, I know I would. Oh snap! Here's where this comes yeah. from, to, so that it, it articulates how to have that conversation mm-hmm. and not just a you know there there's white privilege and then you have somebody like rah, 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 rah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't know why they make that noise. They it's, always it's do that. Really it's really annoying. That like a muppet. I yeah, rah, 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 rah. like Charlie Brown <laughs> does not want to learn your lesson. <laughs> Read a bleeding book. Um, <laughs> so I think that that uh, that's one thing. Um, I know that as far as like in my school, my district is the most uh, diverse mm-hmm. district in the state. What up, uh, Oregon? Um, you Shout know, out. also a state that was established as yeah. a racist state. So fun fact. Yep. Um, but I think that 
a lot of schools are uh, CRT, like culturally relevant mm-hmm. teaching, is a real um, hot buzzword right now. Uh, but a lot of it is really, really kind of uh, tender, like, oh, well, there's this and this. And in order to make it palatable, palatable for people who aren't ready to grapple with this. And I think that the historical approach and saying, okay, so here's here's where this mm-hmm. is coming from, let alone the brain research mm-hmm. around cortisol levels and how that affects children. So if you have hundreds of years of folks who are concerned about being literally killed for no good reason – Yo, that's going to raise your cortisol levels. Uh, and so I think that that weaving, I mean, and that's sometimes a slippery slope, but I think weaving the current uh, pedagogical research yeah. with this is some is a foothold that can be really useful for, especially if any of you um, people listening are, uh, say, TOSAs or doing that sort of professional development yeah. or um, or especially in teacher programs. There are some teacher mills who, mm-hmm. like I had a student teacher a few years ago, and I handed him, I think, other people's children yeah. by Lisa Delpit, and he's like, we're not reading anything like this or even mm-hmm. Bell Hooks. I'm like, brah. Yeah. So um, trying to get this in the hands of mm-hmm. people who are training the next generation yep. of teachers because, yeah. you know, teaching is – invariably white and female mm-hmm. or generally um, mm-hmm. uh, it's your responsibility to yep. do something with it yep. and mm-hmm. I felt that this was really for me activating um, and invigorating um, mm-hmm. as I'm preparing to teach a class on gender and race and film yep. so yep. this was right in the cut for me perfect mm-hmm. my action step is to leave the country because I'm tired of y'all no um, <laughs> no um, Honestly, like I just want to echo a lot of what Jen said. And this is one of those books that like you have to find somebody who's like on the path. Yeah. Like, you, mm-hmm. like you said, you can't mm-hmm. hand this to your dad. Like, you yeah, need I to, can't hand it to my dad yet. Like, like I say yet. Like literally <laughs> they need to read like White Fragility first and then like kind mm-hmm. of work through that before they can read this book. And even that might be tender because of the title. Yeah. 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 And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 I honestly don't have a lot of work at this point. Like one of the things I've kind of arrived at over the last couple of years is is that like black folks have been trying to end systemic racism and uh, racial violence against us for like 400 years Mm -hmm. and that it's up to white folks to combat white supremacy at this point Mm -hmm. like uh, Malcolm Try got shot Martin Try got shot uh, Mega Try got got dragged Uh, I'm tired yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to use excerpts from this book to teach APUS history so I have a collection of books that I've been working through this summer that and this is one of them that um really tell especially really important stories about like to like I said earlier kind of contextualize things like Andrew Johnson for example and like just how awful he was um Mm -hmm. and uniquely awful um (laughs) but not uniquely awful which makes it more awful uh Mm -hmm. so um I'm gonna use it as a teaching tool I am also thinking a lot about it's interesting Jen that you mentioned um what you're talking about made me think about how we treat intergenerational trauma Mm -hmm. in the schools Mm -hmm. and how intergenerational trauma, a lot of times um, I think the kind of tools that we use to address intergenerational trauma and counseling or in the classroom Mm -hmm. are really blunt instruments that Mm -hmm. are um, also whitewashed in the sense Mm -hmm. that like, oh, we talk about intergenerational trauma. Your parents had bad things happen to them. 
So and you feel the, the effects of, of yeah. those bad things. And so we need to address, right, like that you're having bad things happen to you. But like bad things happen to you does not include in the schools um, systemic intergenerational racism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It doesn't address mm-hmm. systemic intergenerational um housing inequity right mm-hmm. like there are all these things mm-hmm. that we we don't address in the schools so i'm thinking about it kind of in the context of teaching directly from the text but also because i think a lot of passages in here are accessible to high school students yeah, they, and i think yeah. they would really connect yeah. with them um but also thinking about how we you know kind of trauma informed teaching how do you how do you address intergenerational trauma in a way that is that engages a conversation about racism mm-hmm. because we can't just say like you're hurting and not address the reasons why people well, are, and not address the reason yeah. because that's the that's the yeah. soft, squishy language of like, of feelings of like, oh yeah, well, you know, we have we have kids who are having a hard time, but like, t- mm-hmm. you need to name why they're having yeah. a hard time. Mm-hmm. They're having a hard time mm-hmm. because they live in a system that is that is built to hurt them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and also I think about as a white person teaching about this stuff or having the, facilitating those conversations. Conversations, you also don't want to re-traumatize your kids of color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think right. there's also like some self-education, some yep. collaboration with other people who mm-hmm. are on that journey that needs to happen. So you're not just up there well, like, yeah. do you, Philip? Blah blah blah. You right. know, like I know what you've been through. No, you don't. Shut up. No. Right. Well, so, and then also the awareness in the context tough. of like. Um, like, for example, if you're going to talk about Andrew Johnson, you don't just hand this to the kids and say, like, like here, you figure out who Andrew Johnson is, right? There's there's guidance there in terms of, like— Drew Johnson. Yeah, yeah like, I don't know. Little Drew. Little Drew. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I will say one of the things I did last spring, and I'm gonna pl- I'm planning to do this um, coming school year, is I added it to uh, my AP, like, outside reading book list. And I had two mm. kids—and then I bought a couple copies and just gave them to our <laughs> school library. Nice. Um, and I had two kids who read it. Uh, one was a boy who's African-American and then a girl who's Vietnamese-American. Mm-hmm. And so it was just—they did book projects on it and then— like mm-hmm. talk to other people. It was really mm-hmm. interesting to see how like where they both overlap, but then like what things they picked up on it um, mm-hmm. that were surprising to them or they yeah. were confused by. And so encouraging kids, I think, to read it. Like you said, it's very accessible as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Final thought. Oh, goodness. I was actually the conversation is too rich wow, <laughs> uh, dealing with and thinking about the way that we talk about um, intergenerational uh, trauma mm-hmm. in schools, what often when that conversation comes up where it's like, okay, it's this systemic thing and what's happened over the last, you know, mm-hmm. several centuries, uh, you're sometimes read as, um, as, uh, like hyperbolic not, yeah, or, or not even, like living in the present or like, even hysterical right. to gender it as well. Um, because ultimately it's that, that thing of, you know, racism is individualized rather mm-hmm. than racism being systemic. So I think that that's a really cool thing. And then just, um, just uh, pedagogically, I think that this would be cool to just take a couple pages. Mm-hmm. And because the notes are so thorough, uh, print out a couple of mm-hmm. the um, source materials and say, okay, how yeah. does she integrate yeah. this source go, material yeah. into her writing? How are you going to do that without leaving drive-by quotes? Right. Mm-hmm. And then how do, you, how do you take what she's done, which is really compelling, and how mm-hmm. do you write mm-hmm. in a way mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. that uses evidence, right? Mm-hmm. Because her example of how she uses end notes is like it's just good it's good yeah it's really good also um to um address nate's point where he's like i'm out there's there's also <laughs> that <laughs> having, sounded a lot like him good yeah it did. having, yeah, having taught while. at um international private schools oh there's work to do for sure like yeah. there is that work and and if anything like those those kids hold all, hold the levers to power or will um well, and that was so definitely tongue planted in cheek yeah no 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 <laughs> i know but still i 
folks need to hear this as well yeah. so that it's not just like, well, we need to, to educate our, our black and brown kids. No, it's everyone's responsibility to reckon with this. Yeah. It's all, all of our students' um, responsibility to reckon with this so that they're not, oh, racism's over. Like my kids yes, yeah. in East Portland are like, but, you know, kids on the other side of the river or up in the hills might have this very whitewashed and mm-hmm. colorblind and like kumbaya, everything's mm-hmm. everything's fine uh, kind of mm-hmm. sensibility. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those are good. Any other final thoughts before we wrap up? Final thing, lingering things, something you didn't say you want to mention? No. Um, I would reiterate what Nate said about that. It's the work of white people to dismantle white supremacy. Mm-hmm. So, hey, white people, could you read the read the book and then um, do something? Do some work. Read White Fragility, then read this, and then the yet to be determined text or the one that was recommended by Jen. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do the work. Also, read Human Smoke. Also, um, which I still need to give a go at the White Supremacy Workbook. Yeah, by, it's really uh, good. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lydia Saad. Um, yeah. Nate, you look like you got a final thought. I just don't want to say you're in my chair again, so I wasn't going to say anything. Put you <laughs> in my chair. Disrespectful. Uh, thank you, too. Maybe. I don't know. Just kidding. No. Uh, thank you, too, for coming on the show. We really appreciate you uh-huh. sharing with us uh-huh. and engaging uh-huh. and challenging us to think about things in a different Absolutely. way. To read less basic. Thank you. Yes, please. Bye. 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 The Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Network. Listen to our other podcasts. Move to Tacoma. Nerd Farmer. Citizen Tacoma. Crossing Division. Flounder's B-Team. We Art Tacoma. And Taco Man. Today we're discussing our second book in the hashtag Read Less Basic. Re- nope. No. <laughs> There's an extra word in there. Interchangeable White Ladies Podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. We, we fly, fly Alaska. Alaska. Book your next flight on alaskaair.com. This is Channel 253.